Turn in your Bibles, please, to Psalm 19. Psalm 19. We're going to be in Psalm 19 today. Uh, Happy Memorial Day weekend to you. Classic Nashville, 50 degrees yesterday in May, but beautiful and glorious today. Psalm Psalm 19. Um, While your day, uh, week, and weekend... uh, the internet is ripe with uh, war movies uh, for the viewing. And so I, I took some time this week to watch a couple of, of war epics. Um, the first one that I, I watched was Dunkirk. Has anybody seen Dunkirk? Have you seen this, this movie? Okay, Really dangerous talking about movies from the pulpit, I know. So don't, don't take anything as like an endorsement of, yes, you know, just this is what I did. Uh, Dunkirk is a really, really cool movie. So this is the story of the Dunkirk evacuation. Uh, in World War II. So there was a, um, a moment in, in World War II where you had Belgian, French, and uh, British troops uh, essentially surrounded by, by the Germans on the northern coast of France. And the evacuation process that took place over several days, a little, almost two weeks, um, that involved civilians using their boats to go and get them. And so it's, there's like no... It's a, it's a very interesting movie. So just the story alone is fascinating. The risk involved and the lives that were lost and then given and, um, as part of World War II. Just really, really great movie. The second one that I watched was 1917. Has anybody seen that, that movie? Okay, a little bit more, right? Excellent, uh, really excellent movie. So this is not necessarily a true story. So the, the director's last name is Mendez. He, he, um, he, he would say that based on the stories of his grandfather, or maybe great-grandfather, and others that he interviewed, this story of 1917 could have been something that possibly happened uh, as a part of, of World War I. And so here's the story of two British soldiers who are given, the, um, given a task of leaving their garrison and walking uh, several miles to another British garrison to warn them that the attack they're getting ready to uh, to go on against the German troops is actually a trap, and they will be slaughtered if they take it. So these two have to walk across the battlefield through various dangers um, and get to this uh, and convince this other captain um, that he doesn't need to run this attack um, and to save 1,500 lives. And, of, and one of the, I won't spoil the plot for you, but it's really, really incredible story. And so those are the kind of stories that... Um, that I, that I like to, I, I enjoy reading about these stories. I enjoy watching these stories because they they speak to this. Um, they speak they speak to a mentality that life is bigger than yourself, right? That they, they speak to the they speak to the reality that there is something more glorious than the thing that I am living for in and of myself. That there is a greater glory. And I think that ultimately is a really powerful thing to think about, especially Memorial Day weekend, that there is a, there is a, a greater glory bigger than myself that I, that I want to give my life to. And so I want to do that today by studying Psalm 19 with you this morning. So if you'd stand with me um, in honor of God's word, we're going to read together Psalm 19. I'm going to read the whole passage. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the work of His hands. Day after day they pour out speech, night after night they communicate knowledge. 
There is no speech. There are no words. Their voice is not heard. Their message has gone out to the whole earth and their words to the ends of the world. But rejoice in the heavens. He has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming from his home. It rejoices like an athlete running a course. It rises from one end of the heavens and circles to their other end. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey, dripping from a honeycomb. In addition, your servant is warned by them, and in keeping them, there is an abundant reward. Who perceives his unintentional sins? Cleanse me from my hidden faults. Moreover, keep your servant from willful sins. Do not let them rule me, and then I will be blameless and cleansed from blatant rebellion. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So we're going to look at this passage today, and I want, I want to show you two, two things um, uh, from, this, from this passage um, about uh, nature and about the Bible and about how these two things declare that there is a greater glory than them both. That nature declares something, the glory of something that is greater than itself, that the Bible declares the glory of something that's greater than itself, and then I, I want to talk about the implications for, for you and I. So look at, look at verse 1. The first thing I want to show you is that nature declares a greater glory. Verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the work of His hands. So you see, very basically what David is saying here is that if we want to understand something about the nature of God, if we want to understand something about the existence of God, then generally speaking... We need to lurk no further than nature, no further than the sky, no further than the, the universe beyond it to understand something about God. Which means we should take a few minutes to think and contemplate about nature, about the expanse, about the universe, and see what we can learn and understand about God. This is interesting to me because I, I think, it's just perspective, that the typical American attitude toward nature has shifted over the years. I think there has been a shift. So I grew up in northwest rural Mississippi, and our state bird is the mosquito uh, in, that, in that part of the state. You know, you, you think you know something about mosquitoes here. Sorry, you know nothing about mosquitoes here in middle Tennessee. But we were so committed to living there that five days a week during the summer, a truck would crawl through the residential streets of my hometown, blasting out DDT in a fog, fumigating the entire town to kill the mosquitoes. And when that truck crawled through and buzzed by and I was in the house, do you know what we did? 
we ran out of the house and started chasing the fog to roll through the fumes of DDT. Like, like, and when that didn't work, the town bought an airplane and flew it over the community. We crop dusted ourselves in DDT to destroy the mosquitoes that were in our community, right? We don't do that anymore, right? It's a little bit different now. It's, we've shifted. Our attitude toward all that has shifted. It's a little more about harmony than it is, you know, sub- submission. So in our, our family, we don't, we, don't, we don't do anything in our yard that prevents insects from, from taking over. You know, we, when we do put something on our bodies to keep from getting bitten, it's like eucalyptus oil, right? It's not, some, it's not off or some other thing that we're going to do that. We're just not going to do that. And I, so it's just an example of shift. We, another, I watched a lot of TV this week on vacation, a lot of TV. And one of the, I watched a documentary called The Biggest Little Farm. Has anybody seen the safest movie I could ever reference from the stage? right? Biggest little farm. This is excellent. It's on Hulu right now. And it's this couple who built and continues to run a farm top to bottom in complete harmony with nature, right? Including coyotes. They have a role to play. And it's really inspiring and it's indicative of a culture that is attempting to live more in harmony with creation, with nature, rather than crushing it and submitting it. So I think attitudes are shifting. And I also think, tell me if this is true for you, that the pandemic has accelerated our appreciation for nature. Uh, I find myself now, this side of what I hope to be the end of a pandemic, I find myself taking more of an appreciation into my uh, natural uh, setting, into creation in general, to nature in general, I'm far more interested in that than I am man-made amusements, apparently with the exception of television. Watched a lot of that. But I did it like at the beach, you know. So like I'm like I'm thinking about vacation in five years, right? I'm far more interested in Alaska than I am Disney World. Does that make sense? Yeah, okay, so yeah, you get it. Right. And I love Disney World. I could hook me up. Like I I could live in Animal Kingdom. But maybe that's because it's the balance, right? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, two of our family members are really, really tied into nature in our house. You can probably guess the two right? And I'm not one of them. But even I, we were driving back Friday night. We were, we, as soon as we hit Prattville, just north of Montgomery, a monsoon of gargantuan proportion swept the cold front, just came right off, you know, came right across us. And, uh, and so we, you know, we ate and we rested and all that kind of stuff. And then we, we started driving north again. Even I couldn't help notice the sunset. When you're on that, when the cold fronts push through and there's still this trail of clouds, but the sun was, man, it was just, it was beautiful. I just think that the pandemic has had this effect on us. I read an article in the Washington Post this week. I didn't read too. The, the new American status symbol is a backyard. It's, it's a glorious backyard. That's, that's the treasure now. So whether these things are true for you or not about nature, Regardless of what your perspective is, if you're, you know, into glamping or avoiding anything that remotely involves trees, okay, the psalmist wants you to know that nature has a message, and it is that it is not the most glorious thing, as glorious as it is, that there is a God who made it who is far more glorious. That's the nature. That's the message of creation. 
as majestic and grandiose and glorious as it is, there is a greater glory, and it is God. And you say, well, how does it do this? Well, look at verses 2 through 4. David says, day after day, they, the expanse, I'm calling it nature in general, pour out speech. Night after night, they communicate knowledge. There is no speech. There are no words. Their voice, literally their voice is not heard. But their message has gone out to the whole earth and their words to the ends of the world. So nature is, how is nature doing this? Well, look at verse 2. It says, pours out speech. Day after day, the expanse, nature pours out speech. And night after night, it's communicating knowledge. Those words, pour out and communicate, are illustrations that the heavens are consistently, irrepressibly bubbling out the message of the glory of God through creation. That creation is doing it irrepressibly so, and it's bubbling up again and again, and it just doesn't stop. Um, do you remember back when YouTube like got really, like right when it was finding its sweet spot 10 years ago, there were people taking two-liter Diet Coke bottles and dropping Mentos into them, the little candies, and you stuck it into Diet Coke, and it exploded irrepressibly so in these bubbles, and you could do all kinds of amazing things. Just you enjoy YouTube later if this is not something you've ever seen. It's, it's pretty incredible to, to watch. Um, that is an image for what nature is like in its declaration about the existence and the glory of God, only there's no limit to the amount of Diet Coke available or to the Mentos that you can drop in. It just doesn't stop. It's irrepressible. So the skies are revealing the glory of God every single night of the week, every week of the year, year after year, and they have been doing so since God spoke them into existence. Now think about that for a second. There is never a moment in which creation has not testified to the existence and the glory of God. It's never stopped. That's how it does it. Now, look at verses 4 through 6. More illustrations for how nature, how it does this. Look at verse 4. In the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun. It is the, it, it is the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming from his home. It rejoices like an athlete running a course. It rises from one end of the heavens and circles to the other end. Nothing is hidden from his heat. So, so David is specifically looking at the sun, the, the, the star that, that warms our, our planet. And he's saying that the way God has designed this thing, it proclaims the glory of God by being what it is. So if if you're like me and you appreciate good word pictures and analogies and illustrations, I I really appreciate the fact that David has given us two to think through, right? Verse 5, he says, The sun is like a bridegroom coming from his home. So I want you to picture yourself at a wedding, okay? An American wedding. And uh, you, you go to the wedding ceremony, and it's a you know, godly couple, wonderful experience, and uh, it's a beautiful worship service, and then, you know, you all go off to the reception, and then they go off and get pictures done and make everybody wait 30 minutes even though they're starving, and then you come back, and then there's this party, and there's this celebration, and everything is, is, is wonderful. Like, what does, the husband, what does the husband look like when he comes into that moment at the reception? Big smile, right? I mean, he's not miserable. He's not nervous anymore. He's not fainting anymore. Like, it's, it's over. It's done. I'm, 
I'm a husband. I'm, I'm done. That's, that, is what, um, that is the illustration for how David wants you to think about the son. When a bridegroom comes in, he is, he is declaring the glory of his marriage. He's declaring the glory of his bride, and he's doing it boldly, and he's doing it joyfully. That's what the son does for the glory of God when it comes across the sky. It says it's like an athlete. What does it look like and, and feel like when every muscle and every tendon and every ligament in your body and your mind and your emotions all come together to, to, a, to an incredible athletic achievement, right? You know, it's like the soccer guys who score the goal and they rip their shirts off and they run around and it's just, ah, you know, like that feeling when I slam dunk a basketball goal that I've never done in my life, right? You know, what would that feel like? That would just be, ah. That's what the sun does. It declares this this glory of God, just like an athlete. So nature, creation, the heavens, the sun, it's incessantly bubbling with the declaration of God's existence and His glory. It does it boldly. It does it joyfully. It does it with every ounce of its existence. That's what's going on out there right now. God. So in a very general way, God reveals himself and he reveals his glory through something that is beautiful and is wonderful and is glorious, but it's not the most beautiful. It's not the most glorious. It declares a greater glory. But that's just general revelation. It might answer the question, is there a God and what is he like? But it doesn't answer the question, what does God want me to do? So that's why we need verses 7 through 14. So how does God reveal his will, not just his reality? And the answer is in verses 7 through 9, and the answer is Scripture. Look at verse 7 through 9. The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. Look at all the nouns in this passage. The instruction, the testimony, the precepts, the commands, the fear, the ordinances, all of these illustrating the practical purpose of God's scripture to bring God's will to bear on every single aspect of our lives. Look at all the adjectives in this passage. Trustworthy, perfect, right, radiant, enduring, reliable, righteous, all of those things are in contrast to the world. It is, they're describing correctly the Word of God, all of which stand in contrast to the experience in, in the world. You do not easily find perfection. You do not easily find trustworthiness or rightness or, or radiance or, or righteousness. You don't easily find those things in the world, but you always find those things in Scripture. So that's where we go to get them, to apply them in our world. And look at the verbs. Renew, to make wise, to make glad, to light up our eyes. What a beautiful word picture. All illustrating what Scripture does for you and I. So in a general way, God is revealed, but His will, not just His reality, His will is revealed to us in Scripture. So we have this general revelation. 
of who God is and his existence and what he's like. And we have this more specific revelation. You might say, if you were having a theological conversation, a special revelation about the will of God. And then you have to ask yourself the question, so what? What's the point? If God has revealed himself and his glory generally through nature and his will through scripture, what does that mean for us? Answer, verses 10 through 14. The first thing that means is that you and I need to become people who treasure the special revelation of God in Scripture. Treasure it. Look at verse 10 and 11. David says, They, the word, the Scripture, is more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb. In addition, your servant is warned by them, and in keeping them there is an abundant reward. But David, David came to the realization that if we understand the truth about God's special revelation in Scripture, if it is what it says that it is, then it must become what we treasure the most, even the parts that warn us. Treasuring leads to a life lived for the greater glory that that special revelation and general revelation point to. So we've got to become people who treasure the Word of God. Number two, we have to become humble people who seek forgiveness from our sin and deliverance from sin so we don't do it again. Look at verses 12 through 13. David says, he's thinking about revelation. He's, he's come to the point, right, from general revelation to specific revelation, living in reality of those two things. This is his response. This is our response, treasuring the word, and then here, seeking forgiveness and deliverance. Look what he says in verse 12. Who perceives his unintentional sins? Cleanse me from my hidden faults. Moreover, keep your servant from willful sins and do not let them rule me. And then I will be blameless and cleansed from blatant rebellion. That's really beautiful. Um, You know, sometimes we treat forgiveness lightly. Asking God to forgive us, but not really thinking that we are serious sinners. It's super uncomfortable to you to... It's confession, ironically. It's, it is, and knowing that there's going to be a time of confession and actually engage in my heart and mind with that. It's awkward. Because I'm much more comfortable not thinking that I'm that serious of a sinner. Which means that I am treating forgiveness like it's a basic human right. And David just doesn't do that. He's thinking about the general revelation of the glory that's declared through nature. He's come to the special revelation about the Scripture. He understands who God is and what His will is for his life. And in so doing, David understands his sinful nature and the complexity of that. And He divides it into categories even. Look at the text. He divides it into errors, which are wrongs that he has innocently committed, the unintentional sins, right? Faults about himself that he doesn't know that are necessarily there. He may not be conscious of them, but he's known of the possibility of them. 
that are so they're they're faults that are unknown to himself because they're just so deeply ingrained in his personality. You know, if David had an enneagram, he wouldn't be using the enneagram to excuse sin. And then he also knows that he can never be fully aware of all these sins in order to seek forgiveness unless God reveals them to him. So he asks them to not just cleanse them, not just, not, he doesn't just acknowledge, like verse 12, who perceives? I can't perceive my unintentional sins. I know I've, I've got to have faults that I don't know that I, I have. Would you cleanse me from those too? And by the way, Lord, would you also keep me from the ones that you know I want to do but should not do? Don't let them rule over me because only if... You forgive me. Can I be right with you? It's never going to be good enough for me to achieve. I can't do it. But if you forgive me, I can be, I can be right with you. You remember in Luke chapter 18, there's the tax collector who's, who's praying. Jesus is telling a parable about a tax collector who, who prays. And uh, it's essentially the same elements as this in that prayer. This tax collector says, you know, God, have mercy on me a sinner, as opposed to the Pharisee who prayed this very righteous prayer. That, that tax collector, we know that this man was coming to God. We know that this man was really praying to God. Why? Because when he considered that he was talking to God, he did see himself as somebody good enough to have earned the privilege. He saw himself as a sinner who needed forgiveness. That's when you know. That's when you know. So, If God has revealed himself generally and specially, so what? Answer, treasure scripture to recognize the state of our sinful hearts and seek forgiveness from God. And then number three, pursue God. Look at verse 14. Pursue God as our rock and our redeemer. David says, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and and my Redeemer. That's an incredible verse. We're not only led to see ourselves as sinners when you study the Bible, although that is just true. That's verses 12 through 13. The Bible leads us to the one who delivers us from that sin. He doesn't leave us there. He doesn't tear us down and say, sorry. He tears us down and builds us up in who He is. That's the good news. That's the gospel. God is the same one who has revealed himself gloriously in the heavens. The heavens tell us that he exists. The heavens tell us that he is all-powerful. The Bible shows us that he is our redeemer from sin, that he is the one who is able to break our bonds, set us free. He is the rock upon which any redeemed man or woman can build on and be kept from sin. May the words of my mouth, (laughs) may everything that I say, the acceptation of my heart, may everything that I give myself to be acceptable to you, be pleasing to you. How could that be the case? Lord, my rock and my redeemer, the one who paid the, you've got to pay the price for me. I've got to have your righteousness, not my own, if I'm going to be right before you. May that be said. You know what? This is a prayer to live a salvation life. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Nature is glorious, but it speaks volumes about a greater glory. 
giving your life to serve your country is glorious. But it speaks to a greater glory, namely freedom. So nature is glorious, but it speaks volumes about a greater glory. And in response to this reality, we need to treasure the Word of God, seek forgiveness and deliverance, and give our lives to the one who gave us both. And that's Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, would you make that the case today that we in this room today would recognize the greater glory that your creation proclaims, that we would see in your spoken word to us, the Bible, an opportunity to come to you, our rock and our redeemer. We ask it together in Jesus' name. Amen.